The Martins had twin boys, Billy and Bobby. They only resembled each other in looks. If Billy felt it was too hot, Bobby thought it was too cold. If Billy said the TV was too loud, Bobby claimed the volume needed to be turned up. Opposite in every way, Bobby Martin was an eternal optimist, while Billy Martin was a doom and gloom pessimist. Just to see what would happen at Christmas time, their dad decided to load Billy, the pessimist's room, with every imaginable toy and game. For Bobby, the optimist, he loaded his room with horse manure. That night, Dad passed by the pessimist room and found Billy sitting amidst his new gifts, crying bitterly. Why are you crying, Billy? Dad asked. Because my friends will be jealous. I'll have to read all these instructions before I can do anything with this stuff. I'll constantly need batteries, and my toys will eventually break, answered Billy, the pessimist twin. Passing Bobby's room, his dad found him dancing for joy in the pile of horse manure. What are you so happy about, Bobby, he asked. To which Bobby, the eternal optimist, replied, There's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> During the Christmas season, there's one word that we'll hear more often than any other. It's not tree, it's not Santa, unfortunately it's not Jesus, and in this day and age it's not even the word Christmas. No, the word that we'll hear more, most often is the word gift. For a month or two, we'll frantic around looking for the right gift for every person on our list. This word gift will consume us for a month. You can't turn on the TV or walk into a store without hearing or seeing the word gift. And I think gift-giving and gift-getting is actually something that everybody really looks forward to at the Christmas season. And in some ways, I think it's one of the central parts of the Christmas season, especially if you have kids. But if you stop and think, where did gift-giving at Christmas actually begin? Many people would say, they would look to the wise men and say it was when they gave their gifts to baby Jesus. But it was actually God who gave the very first Christmas gift, his son Jesus. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn to our text, which is John 3.16. It'll come up on your screen here. I think this is probably the most famous or most well-known verse throughout the Bible. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. At that very first Christmas, God gave the first and the best Christmas gift of all, his son Jesus. And the reason he did this was because of love. Now, as I already mentioned this morning, today's our fourth Sunday in Advent, and the theme or the focus is love. And so based on the text this morning, the goal of my message is to show us how can we love those around us better. See, the Christmas season is a time when we're surrounded by people. Whether you're at family gatherings, inviting friends over or seeing your neighbors, or even going through the crowded stores, there's plenty of opportunity for us to love those around us better. And so to help us achieve 
that goal, I want to look at our text this morning, and I want to make three observations about love. The first observation is, love is a choice. Rick Warren says that too many people have bought into the myth that love is uncontrollable. That's something that just happens to us. Even the language we use implies the uncontrollability of love. We'll say, I fell in love, as if love was some sort of a ditch. You know, I just happened to be walking around one day and bam, I fell in love. I couldn't help myself. But that's not love. Love doesn't just happen to you. Love is a choice, and it represents a commitment. Now, some might say, well, what about attraction and arousal? I can't control those things. And you're right, you can't. But that's not love. Attraction and arousal, it can lead to love, but it's not love because love is a choice. Let me give you a couple of examples from marriage. This is taken from a marriage course that Ivy and I led this past winter. It's called Marriage on the Rock by Jimmy Evans. Jimmy says one of the most common misconceptions about marriage is, if I marry the right person, the emotions will just happen naturally and effortlessly throughout a marriage. So guys, that would mean every morning, we would wake up and we would look at our wife and go, hallelujah, here come those emotions welling up in my heart again for my wife. And your spouse, she would turn over, greet you, smell your breath, and all the other bodily smells that you have, and go, oh, honey, you take my breath away. (laughs) You literally do take her breath away sometimes because of how bad it can smell. It doesn't work that way. The best marriage is not when two perfect people meet have this instant chemistry, and love happily ever after. No, the best marriage is when two different people meet, roll up their sleeves every day, and choose to make things work out, and they come out the other end as best friends. Because love is a choice. The second misconception about marriage that he states is, if the emotions change about my spouse... I must have married the wrong person. No, your emotions will always change. You can't predict how you're going to feel tomorrow. That's why the best form of love is agape love. It's God's type of love. It's an unconditional love that says, I choose to love you no matter what. See, I don't know what my emotional state will be in the future, but I can always choose to love. When I say I love Ivy, what I'm saying is, regardless of how I feel or what she's done, I have made a decision that I will always be faithful to her and I will do my best to love her Jesus' way. I can't depend on my emotions, but I can choose to love her. You know, we read stories or hear stories all the time of famous people. They get married, and then they get divorced. And then they get married, and they get divorced. And they just repeat this cycle over and over again. 
Why? It's because they're believing the lie that if their feelings have changed about their spouse, that they must somehow have to change spouses. Jimmy calls it the grass is greener on the other side syndrome. You see, from a distance, other relationships always look better. And from a distance, other people always look better. But there's two sayings about the grass is greener syndrome. The first one is, if the grass looks greener on the other side, well then it's time to start watering your own yard. And the second one, which I really like, is the reason the grass looks greener on the other side is because you can't see all the poop from here. See, everybody looks good from a distance, but it's not until you get to know someone that you really start to see all their issues. Best friends are people that know all your dirt and still choose to love you. Because love's not an emotion, love is a choice. And if you want to love people better, you have to choose to love them. One more thing before we move on. What you need to know this morning is that God chose to love you. His love for you is an agape love. It's unconditional. It doesn't matter how bad of a person you are. It doesn't matter if you've messed up your life. It doesn't matter if you've committed the most heinous of crimes. It doesn't even matter if you've rejected him and turned your back on him. His love for you does not and will not change. He has chosen to love you. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son, that if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. He chose to love you. But the question is, will you choose to love him? He's never going to force you to love him because he knows that love cannot be forced. Because love is a choice. Second observation is love is an action. If we look at our verse again, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Now, I've always understood this verse to read, God loved the world so much that he gave his Son. But in talking with Dave Perry a couple of weeks ago, he actually said the Greek word for so means in this way. So instead of paraphrasing the verse, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, the more accurate way to paraphrase it would be, for God in this way loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Or another way to say it would be, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. He loved mankind by giving. His love was literally an action. Many times in the Bible, God commands us to love one another, and you can't command an emotion or a feeling. If you've ever tried to uh, tell a crying child to be happy, you know, they got the tears rolling down their face, their eyes all red, and you know, no, no, be happy, be happy, you know, and they try to fake this smile, meanwhile, they're still crying. You just can't, you can't command an emotion. Years ago, when Ivy and I were dating, 
we'd get to the end of the date, and at one point she said, you know, it makes me sad whenever you have to leave. And so being the very compassionate and caring guy I am, the next time we went out, I knew it was time for me to leave. So I said, Ivy, I'm leaving now, and don't be sad. <laughs> like that was going to change how she felt. Actually, I think it might. I think she actually got mad at me after that. <laughs> Point is, you can't command an emotion or a feeling. But God does command us to love. 1 John 3.18 says, love is, Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. It says, Let us stop just saying we love each other, Let us really show it by our actions. If all I ever did was tell Ivy that I love her and never showed it to her, she'd start to wonder, like, does he really love me? I think eventually she would say, if you say you love me, show me that you love me, because love is an action. There's actually a huge banner that hangs at the corner on a building at uh, Redwood in Maine here in the city. It's, uh, it's actually a Catholic personal care home, and it says, to serve is to love. And I know many of you here this morning, you actually serve the church. Whether it's on a Sunday morning, or maybe you lead a house group, or maybe you serve in one of our other ministries. When you are serving the church, you are actually loving the church. And just so you don't forget... When you're serving the church, you're not serving an organization. You're serving Christ's bride. You are loving the bride of Christ. You aren't just my brothers and sisters in Christ. You are the bride of Christ. And we show our love through actions. Because love is an action. 1 John 5.3 says, This is love for God, to obey his commands. Acting on what God asks you to do is actually loving God. 1 John 4.10 says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now I love how... uh, Kathleen Mueller. She decorated the building for Christmas, and I really like how she did, and I especially like how she put the cradle and the cross together, because these are both two visual reminders of God's love for us. Not only did God send his son to earth as a baby, but he also sent him to the cross with all our sin heaped upon him. You see, you can't have the cross without the cradle, and the cradle is completely meaningless without the cross. This is how God loved the world. He sent his son to the cradle and to the cross, because love is an action. How can you love someone better this Christmas? By first choosing to love them, and then by loving them with your actions. Our third observation this morning is, love is a sacrifice. Sacrifice means to lose 
or give up something of value for a better cause. An example is in the game of baseball. When a batter lays down a sacrifice bunt, his sole purpose in doing so is to advance his teammate who's already on base to advance him to another base. And it's so he gets into a better scoring position. And the reason why it's called a sacrifice bunt is because he's, the batter is bunting the ball only a few feet away from home base. And it, he's making it very easy for the opposition to pick up the ball and throw him out at first. And he makes it difficult for them to throw out the runner. So he's literally sacrificing himself for the cause of advancing his runner so that the team has the potential to score. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Because of God's love for us, he gave up the only Son he has. And in the same way, because of how much Jesus loves you and me, he too made a sacrifice. You see, his first sacrifice was to leave heaven, come down to earth in the form of a helpless baby, born not in a birthing center like we have at the corner of St. Mary's and St. Anne's or in a hospital, but born in a cave where they kept animals. He left the paradise of heaven to come down into this world marred by sin, death, and destruction. I don't think we really grasp the sacrificial love that he chose to do for us at that first Christmas. He gave up an awful lot to come down. But that wasn't all. God the Father and God the Son, they had an even bigger sacrifice planned. A sacrifice that would cost Jesus his life. But for a greater good. To provide a way for people like you and me to be in relationship with God once again and to enjoy eternal life with him. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. This verse is saying that the ultimate form of love is when someone will sacrifice their life for their friends. But Jesus didn't just lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for his enemies too. Romans 5.8 says, God, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love for you and me is a sacrificial love. Because love is a sacrifice. If you want to love those around you better, you're going to have to give up something of value for the greater good. You're going to have to sacrifice. This past Monday, I came home from work and made my way into the kitchen. I started cleaning up the kitchen while Ivy was making supper. And then after supper, I continued cleaning on for several hours because I knew that Ivy was going to be hosting the ladies' prayer group at our house the next day. So around 8.30, I finally just made my way downstairs, sat on the couch just to relax for the rest of the evening. Ivy came down shortly after. She 
made a fire in our wood stove, which I thanked her for. And then I said, you know what I could really use? I could use a Coke. And she just looks at me and says, well, what am I, your servant? <laughs> and I said, no, honey, you're not my servant. You are the one person in this entire world that loves me the most. And love is a sacrifice. <laughs> And with that, she went and got me a Coke. (laughs) Now, you're probably thinking one of two things right now. You're either thinking, hey, Kev, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is not self-serving. Go get your own Coke, yeah. (laughs) Or your other thought is, hey, I'm going to try that on my spouse the next time. Just... When I need something. Well, if you do, you do that at your own peril. (laughs) The point is, sacrificial love doesn't have to involve big sacrifices. She knew I was tired and thirsty, so she went and got me a Coke. I knew she was going to be hosting this group the next day, so I cleaned up for a few hours so it would take the pressure off her uh, the next morning. See, most times, if we want to love those around us better... It's the smaller sacrifices that really make the difference. And one more thought I want to share about sacrifice. And this is actually something that Ivy wrote in her journal back in uh, May of 2014. She wrote this. For some reason, all through the night, last night in my sleep, I was contemplating the thought of sacrifice. The whole thought and concept is so separate from anything going on in my life and not at all connected to anything that I've heard or read recently, that I feel this thought package must be from God. The thought is basically this. When we think of sacrifice, all we think of is the cost. Even in its everyday use, sacrifice equates to cost. But the truth is, what is gained from sacrifice far outweighs the cost. What was gained from sacrificing a lamb? The atonement of sins. What was gained from the man selling everything he owned? A pearl of immeasurable value. What is gained from a family leaving the comforts of home, family and friends to go live in a strange place? The salvation of souls. Often when we are asked to sacrifice, we can only calculate the cost. But if God is asking us to sacrifice... He is able to calculate the gain, and we need to trust him, knowing that the gain will always far outweigh the sacrifice, even if we can't see it right away. So then, why do we fear the cost of sacrifice rather than being thrilled at the thought of the gain? That's a very profound thought on how we should view love as a sacrifice. And in fact, that's exactly how Jesus viewed his sacrifice on the cross. Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus understood what was going to be gained from his sacrifice 
would far outweigh the cost. And if we think of the gain that comes from sacrificing instead of the cost, it'll actually make the decision to sacrifice a whole lot easier. And so in closing, as I call the worship team forward, just want to review. Love is a choice. Love is an action. And love is a sacrifice. And to love those around us better comes down to one question. Are you willing? Are you willing to choose to love those around you better? Are you willing to act to love those around you better? And are you willing to sacrifice to love those around you better? If you aren't, and you want to be, then ask God to help you. He will, because he sent us a helper, his Holy Spirit. And if you are willing, then just ask God, how do you want me to love those around me better? And then simply do as he asks. I'll leave you with this quote from Mother Teresa. She says, It is Christmas every time you let God love others through you. Yes, it is Christmas every time you smile at your brother and offer him your hand.